welcome to everyone this evening. Thank you for being here. Those that are watching online, we welcome you as a part of this service this evening. And uh, so again, one more, or our third evening of the importance of the Christian family. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing one more song here before we move on.
So we're just going to turn this thing a little bit. So we are on the floor tonight for a reason, but I'm not telling you what the reason is yet because I like to keep everybody in suspense. Um, you can be seated. So. And actually, Julian, I'm going to ask you to move to the second row for me because I'm going to do something in a couple of minutes, and I need these two rows. Pastor, you can sit there if you want to, but, you know, we'll see. They'll be excited to have you on the seat with, there with them, too. So, huh, who am I calling down? Well, this is not the price is right, so <laughs> come on down. You're the next contestant. No, we'll see. You'll just have to wait. All right? Everybody's got to pay attention so you know when to come. All right? Everybody got it? You, like, have no idea. Thank you, John. All right. We're going to recap from last week. We talked about the characteristics of a godly home. Anybody remember what some of those are? Anybody? This is a time in which I would like feedback. I know these girls are taking notes on that front row, but I don't know if they took those notes down. Love, grace, and peace abound. Oh, apologies. Oh, that was a good addition. <laughs> I think, uh, Julian, is there something we need to know? Why Jocelyn wants apologies? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Jocelyn. She's like, what? Um, a reverence of God, a safe place where everyone can connect and interact in a healthy way. Pastor taught us on 1 Corinthians 13, specifically in detail to what that looks like in a godly home. That was really good stuff. Um, so, what we're going to do tonight is a little bit more what I would call nuts and bolts. All right? Um, so first of all, everybody who's watching this in the future, I just want you to know that there are lots of people here. It's just that right now, right here, there's looks like three. But there's actually a lot. Anyway, I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, when you guys watch the video, you'll see what that means. Um, so this is a little bit more nuts and bolts than we had really originally planned, but as we've talked through everything we wish to share and our passion about the Christian family, this um, came up and we really felt like we wanted to share all this part with you. So this is going to be a little bit more geared towards the nuclear family. Who remembers what the nuclear family is? Brother Mallory. All right. Husband and wife of the opposite sex with children in the home or adopted children, um, natural children in the home. All right. This will be geared definitely towards the nuclear family. However, that doesn't mean we're tuning things out just because that season has passed for you or you have yet to get into that season. Um, there's going to be what you're going to hear tonight are principles. So as we go through everything... Even when we talk to certain individuals that are going to be on the front row, I want you to remember the principles behind everything we're talking about tonight, all right? I want you to think about how that applies to your life, all right? But we did want to do some specific 
kind of hands-on type and give real-life examples and how to do this on a day-to-day basis, how to have that healthy Christian home on a regular basis. All right? So we're all going to agree nobody's tuning anything out, right? Thumbs up? Good job. All right. I want to talk to you first about something called reverse planning. This is used a lot in the business world. It's used in the military. Um, They sometimes call it backward planning. All right? So here's what reverse planning is. When you plan in reverse, you start with your end goal and then work your way backwards from there to develop a plan of action. Backward planning involves starting with your target goal of completion, usually with a time in mind, and working back toward the present by identifying the steps needed to attain that goal in reverse chronological order. Another way to put it would be that you identify your last step and then you're next to the last step, and so on. What does this mean in terms of a nuclear family? What does this mean for a parent and child relationship? This means you're going to look ahead and figure out what kind of child you want to raise, what you want that child to become or be or, or, or just anything from... I I, re, I don't I don't really want to say like what type of job you think you know because then you get into that mode where you hear about the parents who are pushing their kids to become the lawyer or the doctor etc. So I don't really really want you to think of it in terms of that type of thing, but what you really want that child to be, I want you to fast forward those of you with young children and think about the adult that you will be proud of. As the parent, that you're going to look at your adult child and you're going to be very proud of that child because they became X, Y, and Z. All right? So I'm going to read you an article. This article is very specific. You'll see what I'm saying as I read through it. But there again, I want everybody listening to principle here. All right? This article was written by, uh, she's a public speaker. And I can't remember. Oh, her name's on here somewhere. Um... And I believe she's Catholic because when I looked her up, I noticed that she speaks at a lot of Catholic um, events. But I thought it was a very interesting article. I found it years ago, and some of you may have heard some of this in a leadership meeting several years ago. But I really felt to share this because I want you to think about the reverse planning happening here. Why I don't let my four-year-old daughter wear spaghetti straps spaghetti straps those are the little tiny skinny straps like on a tank top my four-year-old daughter ella received a doll from a relative for christmas that was wearing a fluffy pink skirt and a spaghetti strap tank top covered by a cute sweater to my daughter's wild surprise she also received the same outfit as her doll in her own size she put on her new outfit immediately to match her doll My daughter proceeded to try to wear that same outfit as her doll for all the days following after Christmas. Although I love the dolls and my daughter's outfits in their completion, I don't allow my daughter, my four-year-old, or her dolls to wear spaghetti straps without something covering the tank top. Or her dolls. Some may think I have gone overboard or even call me a prude, which, but I am parenting with an advantage. 
I have inside knowledge of the working relationships between parents and their teenage daughters. Since I have been speaking to teenagers and their parents for the past 15 years, I have gained an extensive knowledge of the kind of knockdown, drag out battles that parents have with their teenage girls and their wardrobes. One of these battles could perhaps be over those spaghetti strap tank tops that are being worn without something else covering them. Now, I'll admit, when my four-year-old attempts to wear the new spaghetti strap tank top, she doesn't look immodest to me. She still manages to look innocent and dignified. So why won't I allow my daughter to begin wearing these types of tank tops at age four? Because the battle that she and I will inevitably have over tank tops will be a lot easier to win if the standard never changes. The same rings true for other similar types of clothing that will not protect her dignity or her mystery when she is at a more womanly stage in her life. Although it is winter and cold out, even at age four, Ella has been testing the waters by trying to wear that tank top. She has begged me to wear it without the sweater. She has gone behind my back and asked her dad and her grandma if she can wear it. It's actually become quite amusing to watch as I can already envision her as a teenager. I sat her down and said, Ella, we do not wear those spaghetti strap tank tops without a sweater over them because we are so beautiful and they do not protect our incredible mystery. Mom does not wear them without something over them either. It's just not something that we will allow you to do. Not now or when you're older. We chatted a bit more about it and she said, okay, mom, I want to protect my mystery. So I'll wear the sweater. There was no tears, no fight, just an innocent understanding and respect for me. How do I know that she even understood me? A couple days later, we went to enjoy Taco Tuesday at a restaurant in town. We were sitting at our table waiting for our food when Ella grabbed my arm and pulled me close and said, and was pointing to the hostess with the very womanly figure wearing a spaghetti strap tank top that kept sliding up to reveal her stomach. And it was accentuating and revealing her large chest. And Ella whispered in my ear, Mom. Her mystery is not protected. She's wearing a spaghetti strap, and it's not modest. Ella saw it for herself. It clicked in my four-year-old's brain. She began to have a small amount of judgment in her voice as she continued talking about the woman. I explained gently, Ella, we can't judge her or talk about her behind her back. She may not know of her beautiful mystery and why she should protect it. Instead, we should pray that God may reveal it to her so she knows just how special she is. My goal with Ella isn't to restrict her, but to free her. When she is a teenager, if we do have another spaghetti strap tank top conversation, I don't think it'll be a long one. I won't have to explain why modesty is important or why all of a sudden, these kinds of tank tops are no longer allowed. She will have built a habit of virtue 
since she was four years old. She will have practiced modesty for years under my guidance. Parents have these knockdown, drag out clothing wars with their daughters because, she says, in my opinion, many of them spring something new upon their daughters who have not had practice or made a habit in building up the virtue of modesty. And like all virtues, it becomes stronger with practice. I meet many parents who have allowed their daughters to wear all these things, immodest clothing, etc. And when they were young, when their figures had, hadn't yet emerged, only to find out that it comes a time when they come, become extremely uncomfortable with their beautiful, womanly, still innocent, probably, teenage daughters wearing all of this in public. Fathers are by far the ones who cringe the most when they speak to me. They know that teen, they know teenage boys. Every father has been a teenage boy once. They cringe at the way their daughters are dressing, but the fight is so big, they often back down, and their little girls wear whatever they want. To all the teenage girls whose parents caught you off guard with the new rules about modesty when you had never heard the word before or had no idea why it was even important, I feel for you. You have gone your whole lives thinking it was just fine to dress in clothing that has now become restricted and deemed inappropriate. Although it was good, although for good reason and for your protection, I can imagine this is confusing. As you look back at the many years to, during which you wore clothes that your parents bought for you and that you found comfort in, it must be hard to find out that those clothes are no longer acceptable for you to wear. Although I don't agree with you, I see why you attempt to fight your parents. It's very confusing. Although this may be new for some of you, your parents have a job to protect you, and modesty will protect your chastity and your dignity. It offers protection against being the lustful object in someone's gazing eye. It offers you freedom. Protecting your beautiful mystery will say to others that you demand to be noticed for who you are as a whole person, body, mind, heart, and soul. It will demand others notice the unrepeatable, irreplaceable person that you are. It has the ability to free you from use and objectification, which does not speak to your deepest desires of your feminine hearts. It frees you to be noticed and loved. I have made many mistakes as a parent and learned many lessons daily. It's a humbling thing to be a parent, but it's never too late to set things straight. There are areas that I have let slide with the result that my children have built bad habits. Sometimes it would be easier to just let them continue to slide because to change their behavior now would be extremely difficult and very time-consuming. I have to constantly remind myself that my husband and I are the biggest influences our children will have. We have the ability to influence their character and the lifelong habits that they will build. Why not make modesty a habit for our children? If you are a parent and you have failed to help your child build habits of modesty, virtue, or character, know that you're not alone. Don't beat yourself up. Today is a new day. It's never too late to set things straight. May you and I find strength and resolve in our parenting goals and never forget that we are the greatest influences our child will ha ever have. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody find some principles in that article 
There's a lot of really heavy principles in that article. What I want you to do is start envisioning your child who and what you want them to be. And I want you to work that backwards. If you're a married couple, if you're an actual nuclear family with mom, dad, and children in the home, I want mom and dad to talk about this. I want you to fast forward 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I want you to fast forward. I want you to decide what you what your children are going to look like when they're 20, when they're 25, when they're 15, when they're 10. I kind of thought about this while you were over there, and I thought, how many of you would love for your children to be respectful of the auditorium when they're a teenager or an adult or have a reverence when they come into the house of God? Anybody? Anybody would love that? Okay, we're going to work that backwards. We're going to work that one backwards. If I want my 15-year-old to be respectful and reverent in the house of God, what do I want my five-year-old doing in the house of God? The times that we run are during worship. The times that we don't run are after service in the auditorium, knocking people over. Those are the times we don't run. All right? I'm literally serious right now. Work it backwards. Do you want your teenager to be reverent here? Then work it backwards. Your three-year-old should not be running loose and being in, in irreverent or running up on the platform or standing on chairs and jumping off of things after a service. Let's think about this. Oh, Sister Angie, you are really extreme. That's really extreme. Am I? How about we make a habit of being reverent? Let's make that a habit. I talked to a parent, a parent once who had a little, I think she was about two years old at the time, and this was her dad, and he was telling me about just the, the crazy attitude she already had, and she was sassy, and, and goodness, he can't get the iPad out of her hands, too, too. Knows how to open up, slide open, put the passcode in, knows it, too. As if he couldn't just take it away, because I guess parents are victims of their two-year-olds. But, um, sorry, that was free. Um, and, and but he began, I said, oh, wow, you might want to be careful. Ooh, she's two doing those things? I said, imagine what that's going to look like at 16. And his response to me was, oh, are you kidding? I am not remotely thinking about that. Huh. Let's just think about that for a minute. We need to be thinking about that. <laughs> We've got to be thinking about that. We've got to be looking at, I, I'll just be real. I get people all the time that are like, how do I have kids like yours? And I know they're here, and I don't want to make it awkward for them. I worked it, we, as a couple, worked some things backwards. The reason why you see my children on this platform is not because we're the pastor's family. It's because I had a dream. Literally, I, I dreamt of all four of my children being in worship ministry. I, I am serious before God. I told my husband that early on. 
And when it came time for them to learn an instrument, we did what it took. And we paid, we paid so much money. <laughs> but they got the instrument, the, the training and the lessons. And, and they learned how to pour their heart out to God sometimes alone in their bedroom at a keyboard. And it's because I saw them as little kids and I could see them and I fast forwarded to us. I always wanted to sing with my kids. It was just a dream I had. I, I don't mean a literal dream. Like I woke up in the morning like, oh, I had a dream last night that everybody's on the platform. It was just a dream. It was something I always thought of and thought it would be amazing. I don't really know how we got here except that somewhere along the lines we worked it backwards and we decided at five they were going to start piano lessons and then we we're going to start to well then then in Sunday school you know there's they learn how to sing and do all the things and then in youth group they had chosen worship and guess who was in chosen worship my kids because they just you know because I'd, I'd push them along and say Hey, why don't you become a part of that? You're a great singer. You can do that. I worked the plan backwards. And I say I, we, I mean we. But that's, and my kids aren't perfect, so I'm not going to go down that whatever rabbit trail with you guys. We, we decided that the first week. I might use personal examples, but that's my frame of reference, all right? So think about these things. Think about how you want to get your child to that place. Think about this. Saying no is easier than saying no more. If you can say no to the four-year-old and then keep saying no to the eight-year-old and keep saying no, instead of that, no, no more, we're not doing that anymore because you're so grown up now. That is confusion. And that hasn't developed any good habits in your children. Why is it that we're able to give discipline and instructions to our children with thoughts of them becoming a college graduate? We push our children to go to college, a good employee, a voting citizen, a productive member of society. We see all those things, and that's what the public school system thinks they're doing with our children. Anyway, leave that one there. But when it comes to teaching and instructing our children in holiness, in truth, in doctrine, in godly living, in character, how is it that we have become so short-sighted? We're just seeing right here, well, they're only four. They don't need to be taught that. I just heard recently there is a parent in this church with a one-year-old who reads, straight up reads the Bible to that one-year-old. That's story time. That's somebody who is doing some reverse planning right there. How is it that we become short-sighted with the spiritual things, the most important things? Do you have dreams of your child being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you envision your child becoming a disciple? What does that mean? At 20, at 15, at 10, at 5. Do you want them involved in ministry? Do you want them to be a preacher? Do you want them to just preach? Anybody can preach. Do you want them 
to be in worship ministry? Do you want them winning souls? How about discipling their own friends? Because they're a disciple. Work your plan backwards. Your children have the amazing opportunity to never know anything different. That's powerful. They have the, it's an amazing opportunity. And I know the children sitting here may not quite see it that way. The teenagers may not quite see it that way. But I think the adulting adults in the room understand what that means. Deuteronomy 11 and 18, therefore you shall lay up these words in, in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. Are we on there? Oh, yay. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Your home is the most important place for your children to learn these things. Well, I've heard this. What we do in the privacy of our home is our business. I'm going to give you that. That is your business. It's not my business, but I'm going to tell you there's someone else's business that it is, and that is Jesus. That's God's business right there. I don't have to be all up in your home to know, but God knows. And is he into the business of your home? Does he know what's going on in your home? Absolutely. True character and holiness are revealed when no one else is watching. That's when it's really revealed. All right. We're going to do something different. I'm going to invite all the children. We'll, we'll go down to age four. Unless you're a parent who feels like your three-year-old will sit still. But age four through 12, I want you to come sit on the front row. Yep, upset the fruit basket. Come on, you got this. Four through 12-year-olds, you're fine right there. You can stay there. Here they come. Jacob Dennis, come on down. Look at this. How exciting. All right, come on. If we got to fill it, see? Oh, oh, I knew somebody would do it. There's pastor. I want to sit by pastor. You got to do it, Theodore. Do we have enough spots? We're close. All right. You can sit right there, Josh. There we go. All right. We're going to have a special time teaching our children tonight about honor. And we're going to teach our children how to have a godly home and how to be in a Christian family. Now, I have a question for you. All right. Let's see. Who goes to a public school? Raise your hand. A couple of you? Oh. All right. All right. Let's do you. Sebastian, you go to a public school. So who's your teachers? Miss Marino. All right. So do you, do you have any other teachers in your life? What do you think? Who? Your Sunday school teacher. Who else is a teacher? Just a teacher. Your mom. Who else? A 
He's working on it. He's working on it. Maybe dad, maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. All right. What's funny is, let's see, Abigail, who's your teacher? Oh, your mom. In school, too? Most homeschoolers sometimes, not most, a lot of times I ask someone who's homeschooled who their teacher is and they don't know. That's the most amazing answer. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, what has she been doing all day with you? Anyway, so what I want you to realize, Sebastian, is that your most important teachers in your life are your mom and dad, all right? Your public school teacher is very important, and, and she, I think you said a she, she's going to teach you really important things, but mom and dad are going to be your most important teachers, all right? So guess who I'm bringing down here? You guys love her so much. Sister Angie Millette. Yeah. She's going to teach you some really cool stuff about honor. Okay? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to give, I want to thank Pastor and Sister Angie um, for the burden that they have for us and their willingness to teach us the hard things. Um, If you think that this is always fun, no. Um, But they love us enough to tell us what we need to hear so that we have healthy families and we make it to heaven. And so I give honor to Pastor Wright and Sister Angie. So honor. In Deuteronomy 5.16, it says, Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor. It's not only mentioned in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament in Ephesians. And this, in Ephesians 6, it's very specific. It says children. So all the children should be like, that's me. Everybody can say, that's me. That's me. Children, obey your parents the way the Lord wants. This is in the ICB. This is the right thing to do. The command says, honor your father and mother. This is the first command that has a promise with it. So he gives us a command, and then he gives, us a prom- he gives you a promise. The promise is, then everything will be well with you, and you will have a long life on the earth. So it's a command. So if it's something that the Lord is telling us to do. And by the way, honor is mentioned in the Bible like over 200 times. That's a lot. So over 200 times, it's important. That means this is something very important to God, so it needs to be very important to us. So, and he specifically addressed children. This wasn't just, you know, everybody has a mom and a dad, right? But he didn't say adults, make sure you honor your mom and your dad. It says children, obey your parents, and honor your father and your mother. So, boing, I'm paying attention. Who wants to honor God? Who wants to do what God wants? Yes, we all do, right? So, we need to pay attention, and we need to know, well, what, what does honor mean? That's a big word. It's not really. It's only six, five letters. Yeah, five letters. But it's, it's kind of, what is it? What's honor? Well, The Oxford Dictionary, that's a really big, fancy dictionary, 
says to regard or treat someone with admiration or respect. Well, that's still okay. I have to respect people and I need to admire them. But honor is more than how you feel about someone. Honor is a verb. Verb means there's an action. So it's not just how you feel, it's something that you have to do. And so if it's important and it's something you have to do, you have to know what to do, right? Yeah, we want to know what to do because we want to make God happy, right? Everyone, yes, we want to make God happy. So actions speak louder than words. I just said we honor Pastor and Sister Angie. And that's important to use our words to say that. But my actions and how I act and how we act speak so much louder than what we say from our mouth. So it's very important to not only say things that sound good, but to actually do and understand what they mean so that we can actually do them. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to find out what does it mean to honor. So honor, we can kind of break it down into three things. Treating people as special. Treating people as special. That's honor. Doing more than what is expected. Not, the, not what you're asked, but more than what you're asked. And then having a good attitude. Ooh, that's a hard one sometimes. Not always easy to have a good attitude, but we should have a good attitude in everything that we do. So we're going to talk about these three things because these, this is how we honor. This is how we do what the Lord has commanded us to do, which is to honor our father and mother. But we're going to learn later that the reason we start with our mom and dad is because honor is really a part of everyday life and every relationship we will ever have. So he t instructs us as a child because he wants us to learn young because it's going to take us through our entire life. So treating people as special, whew, how do we do that? How do we treat someone special? First and foremost, we can use our manners. Let me hear everybody say please. please. Oh, you guys do that so well. How about thank you? Oh, you guys are so good at that. Please and thank you. Do you know that goes a long way? When somebody, you want somebody to do something for you, you don't say, get me a glass of water. What? No. Please, can I have a glass of water? That goes just, that sounds so much nicer, doesn't it? It sounds so much nicer. So using please, and then when you get that glass of water, you don't just run off and go play. You're like, oh, thank you for getting me that glass of water. You, it's showing that you appreciate that they did something for you. Manners, they go a long way. Holding the door, when you're running into the building and you come running in the door, pause and see if there's somebody behind you and make sure that they get the door before you continue in. It's little things, but you know what it says? I honor you. You're, you're, you mean something to me, and I'm going to treat you as special. Oh, this one. Let me see everybody smile. Do you know that? You have such a beautiful smile. Looking someone in the eye and smiling when you talk to them. Oh, 
That makes someone feel so special. You are letting them know you are important to me. You're important enough to me that my attention is right on you while I'm speaking to you. I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to smile because I'm happy that I'm talking to you. It, this is a pleasant conversation that we're having and it doesn't cost anything. Do you know that smiling is ministering? I can tell, let me see, Anthony, I can smile at Anthony across the room and he knows that I care about him and he's way back there, right? He knows, oh, Sister Angie, she's, she cares about me. She's smiling at me. Smile is free and it makes people feel special because you show, you took the time to look them in the eye and smile. Let me see those smiles. I love them. You guys have such awesome smiles. Oh, I like this one. This is Sister Angie's favorite. Give a hug or a fist bump if you'd rather give a fist bump. To me, there is nothing better than a hug, a fist bump, something that says, hey, I got you. I got you. If you need somebody, I'm, I'm that person. I'm here. I, I'm, it's, it's encouraging. I've got a friend. They gave me a fist bump or they care enough. They gave me a hug. It's making them feel special, treating them as special. Give someone a compliment or an encouraging word. I like your shirt. That dress is beautiful. I love it. Mom, this dinner is delicious. I love it. Thank you so much for making this dinner for me. That took like 10 seconds. And you know what? We feel special. Oh, she likes that dress. Next time I put it on, I'm going to think of Sister Angie because she, she thinks I look, she likes my dress. Or mom, next time she's going to make dinner, she's like, oh, I remember I made this dinner. And Levi loved it, so I'm going to make it again. It's going to make him happy. See? See how this works? Little things. Little things. Oh, here's another big one. Help without being asked and when it's not your responsibility. Woo. You're just going to help. Mom, is there anything I can do for you today? Dad, you're out in the yard working. Can I help you? He doesn't have to ask. You're asking him. Wow. Dads, what would you think about that? Moms? Yeah. Those little things. What can I do to help you? Oh, here's one. How many of you have brothers and sisters? Oh, yeah. Let your sibling play the game they want first. That's a tough one. It's not my favorite game, but I'm going to let you play the game you want first. And I'm going to have fun doing it, even though it's not my favorite. These are ways that we can treat people as special. Can you guys do that? Can you do that? Yeah, these things aren't hard. Honor is not hard. We just have to know, and we just have to do it. We have to think about it. It's not about what I want. It's about how do I make the person that I'm with feel special. Doing more than what's expected. So how many of you have to make your bed when you wake up in the morning? How many of you have to make your bed, but your mom always has to remind you? How many of you have to make your bed and your mom has to remind you like three times? And sometimes it gets a little loud. Yeah. Okay. So, you know what will be really good is as soon as you get up out of bed, just make your bed. 
just make it right away. Mom comes in the room. Whoa, that bed is already made. How awesome is that? If you have some dirty clothes, pick them up and put them in the hamper. Maybe take a look underneath the bed. Is there some stuff that kind of found its way under there that maybe I can take and put away? What, how do you think mom and dad would feel if you did that without having to be asked? Oh, I see you smiling. You know, they would be happy, wouldn't they? Yes, this is doing more than what is expected. And it, instead of mom being, oh, do it, do it, do it, and, you know, they kind of get a little angry sometimes, they're going to come in, they're going to be, oh, I am so pleased with you. I, you're going to make her feel special just by doing the things you know that you should do. Oh, here's one. You're, you're thirsty. You're going to go get a snack or a drink. Instead of just getting one for yourself, ask your brother or sister or mom and dad, hey, you guys want something to drink? Do you want, some, you want, you want an apple? I'll, I'll get one for you. Wow, that's nice, right? You've drank, you, you had your drink, and you're bringing your cup to the sink, and we all know you're not just going to put your cup in the sink. You're going to wash it, right? You're going to wash the cup that you used. Well, there's a few other cups on the side of the sink. They weren't yours. But guess what you should do? Oh, say it louder. Wash them. That's right. You should wash them. But they weren't mine. Well, that's doing more than what is expected, right? I'm here. I'm washing my dish. I see this dish. Sure, I'll wash it. Mom comes in to do the dishes. Wow, there are no dishes in the sink. How awesome is that? Here's one that we all can do. Church is over, and we are leaving to go home. And we see a piece of trash on the floor or an empty bottle on the, on the chair. Pick it up and bring it to the trash can. But it's not mine. That's okay. If we all pick up the trash that we see, guess what? When someone comes to clean the sanctuary, it's going to be a breeze. It's going to be so easy because we took, we had, we did more than was expected and we took care of it. Easy. Can there, who can pick up trash when they see it? Yes, we can all do that, right? Okay. You guys ready? Because here's a little bit of the hard part. Everything we just talked about, we, have, we should do. But here's the thing. Your attitude. If we do everything we just talked about and we do it with a bad attitude, you might as well have not have done it. You can't do it to get noticed. You can't do it with a chip on your shoulder, look what I did, and -and so-and-so over there didn't do it. You have to do it with a good attitude. And you have to, and here's how you do it with a good attitude. You don't complain. Why am I always the one to have to clean up the dishes? No. You clean the dishes and you be thankful. So here are a few situations. We have to find the positive in every situation. Sometimes it's really easy, like when it's bright and sunny outside. We love the sun, right? But when it's raining, we wanted to go to the park. We wanted to go play with our friends outside. We can't do it. So you have to stop and not complain. Why is it raining today? No, stop. 
before you let yourself complain, stop. There's a positive. Let's think of a few. We, the Lord is watering the trees and the grass. That's the most obvious, right? We're going to have beautiful green grass to play in. We're going to have these awesome trees to climb. If it didn't rain, we wouldn't have that. But also, I get to spend the day with my family inside. Maybe we'll play a game. Maybe we'll read a book together. There are some fun things on a rainy day that you might get to do that wouldn't happen otherwise. So no complaining. Look for the good in the situation. Mom says it's time to clean the house, but I really want to play a video game. Do I clean the house and have a bad attitude? No. What is a positive? What is a positive we can find about cleaning the house? Can anybody think of something? Joshua. Cleaning the dishes. But what's a positive? It's, it's what? I have a house. Not everybody has a house. I have a house to clean. So rather than focus on, i got to clean this house, focus on, Jesus, thank you for my home. Thank you that you have provided this, wonder, this place for me to live. Here's one. You come down to dinner, and you're so hungry, and you run up to the table, and you're like, uh, that, I don't like this. This is not what I like to eat. In fact, it's not my favorite. It's my sister's favorite. Why did mom make my sister's favorite? Complaining? No. You stop. Stop yourself. When you, that thought comes into your mind, you have control. Stop for a moment and think, okay, it's not my favorite, but mom will make my favorite because she does, because she loves me, right? It's just not tonight. And I'm thankful I, get to, I have food to eat because not every child has food to eat. And I'm thankful that I'm here with my family and I get to eat this dinner. And I'm really thankful that my sister got her favorite tonight. That's so awesome. So everything, just stop. No complaining. That is important in having a good attitude. Second one is don't argue. Sometimes we have to let others choose first. It can't always be our way. If it's family night and you want to play a game, well, so does your brother or sister, right? They have their favorite. Choose to let them go first. You pick the game first. We'll play your game first. And then when we're done, I'll play, we'll play my game. And don't, don't, let's not argue about it. And then when you're playing your, your, your brother or sister's favorite game, have fun. Don't act like it's a chore. Have fun with it. It's a game. You're spending time together. Have fun. Then when it's time to play your game, you guys are going to have fun playing your game. Your mom and dad, you guys went to a friend's house, but now it's time to leave. The dreaded time to go home. Nobody ever wants to go home. You're having too much fun. You don't want to go home. How many of you have... Well, don't raise your hand. But you're, no, I don't want to go home. I want to stay. No, please, another 15 minutes. Let's try something a little bit different. Mom and dad say, come on, it's time to go home. Just go and get your things. Put your shoes on. Thank the family that you were visiting with. I had so much fun. Thank you. Go to the car. No arguing. It's awesome. We get in the car. Mom, dad, thank you for bringing me to my friend's house. I had such a good time. 
guess what? Next time you want to go to your friend's house, they're going to take you if, it's, if it works out in the schedule. And they're not going to worry. I'm, it's just going to be an argument. I don't want to do this. No arguing. The Bible says that we are to obey our parents. And that's part of honoring. You honor your parents when you obey them. That means you listen and you don't argue and you have a good attitude. It's, we should do what they say right away. Not when we feel like it, but when they say it. And without being reminded. This is honor. This is how we honor our mother and our father. And this pleases God because it is a command in his word. So it pleases him when we obey them, when we honor them. You know, why is honor so important? I, it, it never ceases to amaze me how wise the Lord is. He is so wise. And you talk about working backwards, Sister Angie. That's what God did. He said, I'm going to work this thing backwards, and I'm going to tell children from the beginning, honor your father and your mother. Because it's something that they need to learn when they're young. This is a life skill that you are learning. It's a life skill. How silly would I look if tonight when I came to church, I crawled on my hands and knees from my car up the back stairs to my seat, and then when I came up here, I just crawled because I never learned to walk. You guys would think, something's not right with Sister Angie. We need to pray for her. <laughs> so this is a life skill. This is important because you will honor this will be part of every relationship you will ever have in your entire life. It starts with your parents. You learn it as children, honoring your parents. But guess what? Honor with your friends, with your teacher, with your boss, with your spouse, with your children, with your pastor. And here's the big one, with God. Ultimately, he wants us to honor him in everything that we do everything he wants us to treat him special respect him with our words and our actions he wants us to give him all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength all of it and he wants us to do it with a good attitude which shows that we trust him no matter what life brings so we are learning from a young age parents children how to honor ultimately God and the relationships that we will have and let me tell you he expects this of us but God is amazing as always he honored us first he taught us how to honor he treated us as special by loving us before we even knew him he did more than was expected when he took the punishment for my sin and he did it with a good attitude. He willingly laid down his life for me, and he didn't complain about it. He did it willingly. And he asked God to forgive those who were treating him wrong. That He showed us what honor was from the very beginning. So I want you to listen to this, these verses. And there's quite a few verses. And actually, if you could put Romans 12 and 10 up on the screen. We should call these the honor verses. Just plain and simple. These should be the honor verses. It says, 
love each other like brothers and sisters. Give your brothers and sisters more honor than you want for yourselves. Do not be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Be joyful because you have hope. Be patient when trouble comes. Pray at all times. Share with God's people who need help. Bring strangers in need into your homes. Wish good for those who do bad things to you. Wish them well and do not curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and be sad with those who are sad. Live together in peace with each other. Do not be proud, but make friends with those who seem unimportant. Do not think how smart you are. If someone does you wrong, do not pay him back with doing wrong to him. Try to do what is right. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. My friends, do not try to punish others when they wrong you. Wait for God to punish them. He, it is written, I am the one who punishes. I will pay people back, said the Lord. But this is what we should do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him to drink. This is what honor is. Honestly, it's about being a servant, which is Jesus was a servant, and we are instructed to serve others. But it starts now as children. You are learning how to be a servant to God, how to be a servant to others by honoring your mom and your dad. Now, everybody look at me. Everybody look here. Let me see. What color eyes do I have? Everybody look at me. How many of you think you can do this? Let me see. Can you do this at home? Can you honor? Yes, we can do this. This is, this is something that we can do. Every day, we can work on this. And when we have a bad day, what do we do? When we don't honor, what do we do? Who can tell me? Come on, what do we do? We pray and we repent, right? When we make a mistake, what do we do? We just have to repent and do it and start again. So there will be times. There are times even as adult, I don't honor the way I should. I wish I could say I do it all the time, but I don't. But you know what? It's okay because I'm human and because when I mess up, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, 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 that, the way I acted was wrong and I didn't want to act that way. Help me to be honoring towards others. That's what you can do. It's okay. Just repent, tell God you're sorry, and let's start again, okay? So who can do this? Honor is important because it's important to Jesus. So let's agree to honor God by honoring others. Can we do that? Yes. Awesome. You guys are awesome. You can go sit with your little buddies with your parents. Awesome. Awesome. For any parents who wish to know some of the information that she was um, using, there's a book. It was it's probably my all-time favorite parenting book, and the title is a handful. It's called Say Goodbye to Whining, Complaining, and Bad Attitudes in You and Your Children. It's literally the title of the book. Fabulous book by Scott Taransky and Joanne Miller. Um, we can perhaps send out a link for that tomorrow if you're interested in buying that. That's the parenting 
version of this. She was teaching the child curriculum that they have that accompanies the book. But it's really good stuff. I think everybody got a lot of the good stuff out of that. So we're going to keep moving along. Everybody take a deep breath. We're going to be here a little bit longer, okay? But this is really good stuff. And family is really important. In case you haven't figured out what we're teaching on Thursday night, it's the importance of the family, right? Yes. Kiss your brain if you figured that out. All right. Wow. Pretty sure 75% of you just found out what we've been teaching. All right. I am going to ask the teenagers to come please make your way to these front row seats. Julian, you can come back now. Come on, y'all got this. You girls are already on the front. But, you know, I'm feeling like Brother Jalen would probably like to have you here. You know, you can join him if you want. Almost 13-year-old. Come on. Come sit next to your cousins. All right, Karis. All right, here we go. Oh, we got a girl side and a boy side. Look, she looked at She was sitting by you. Uh-oh, now y'all about to just bump past her right off the edge. All right, without further ado, your youth pastor, Brother Jalen Malk, is coming down to teach the teenagers. Now, wait a minute. What I want you to recognize, what's happening here is, children, the secret, I'm just going to let, let you in on the secret. Your parents just heard everything that Sister Angie taught you. That's the secret. So guess what? Your parents can actually say, not in a mean way, Right? Because I've said a million times in every parenting, marriage, anything, family seminar, our words are not meant to be weapons. But a parent could gently remind their child, hey, do you remember that part of the teaching on Thursday night when Sister Angie said, and they go, oh, yeah, all right, well, maybe we could work on that right now. How about we practice honor? See what I mean? You can keep it super positive. How many of you thought a few times that she was talking about me? I did. I was confused by who Sister Angie was when she was talking. And I kept going, wait, I do that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, right. She's talking about the other one. So Sister Angie one and two. But Brother Jalen, take it away. I'm going to give a few more youth an opportunity to come down front if they would like. Also any 18, and I'll open up to some 19-year-olds as well if you'd like to venture down front. Just being honest, this is something that any young adult can benefit from. In fact, this is something that any adult can benefit from because it's just principles. So I'm going to give you another chance if you want to come down front to be a part of the youth-focused session. But if you want to stay where you're seated, that's fine as well, just giving you another opportunity. Um, anyone want to, know, want to tell me what we're talking about tonight? Big fat guess. Honor. I didn't hear you one more time. Thank you from the, <laughs> from the side support. All right. So this is going to be youth focus session. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Glad you could join us. They said we graduated. We're too cool for the youth section now. No, thank you for coming over. We appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be talking to you guys tonight, but also, like I said, just very practical teaching and principles that anyone can benefit from learning and living by. Uh, 
when I knew we were talking about honor this evening, first of all, I want to say Sister Millette was all over my notes, you know. It's almost like we had the same, like, content to pull from or something. But we both had, like, a baseline we had to talk about. So you'll hear a lot of the same stuff, but from a more, I guess, youthful or even adult version of it. But, um, sorry, I'm setting my timer because I told myself I was not going to go over, even though I probably still will. But I'm not going to be long. I am just going to be very intentional. And I, I have a, a passion about this subject because it's very important. But while, when I found out we were going to be talking about honor, I was reminded of a story I heard of a Sunday school teacher. Uh, I think her class was like four or five-year-olds, very young kids. But uh, she was trying to drive home the importance of family life. And uh, she illustrated her point by referring to the commandment, honor your mother and your father. And then she added, now this commandment is about honoring your parents. And it also talks about how we are to treat our parents. And then she asked the kids, uh, is there any, can any of you tell me the commandment that deals with how we should treat our brothers and sisters? And there was kind of an awkward pause as all these little kids, again, like four-year-old, five-year-olds are kind of quiet, not really sure. Then this one kid shoots his hand up in the air and says, I know, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> it's safe to say that he had many siblings and had to deal with, you know, the sibling rivalries and, uh, all of those different things, favoritism that doesn't actually exist, but everyone thinks it exists, those type of things. I grew up an only child. I did not have to battle with siblings. I did not have to argue about who got to play the game first. I was the only one playing the game, so there was no sharing required. And some people might say the grass is always greener on the other side, or you might think the grass is greener on this side, but there's pros and cons, because when it comes to being an only child, there's no one to share any of the chores, when it comes to being an only child, if something gets broken, there's no blame, blame being distributed. It's just one person getting in trouble for something that broke. But uh, specifically, the biggest thing for me growing up as an only child was the chores. Like, I can think you all, do you all have chores at home? Something that you do? You got, yeah, yeah maybe, and some, sometimes. Okay, let's say this for those of you that are too, too old for this content. Did you have chores growing up? Yes, at some point your mom or your dad said, hey, can you help with this? Can you do that thing? I had a lot of chores. But I didn't always like having chores. In fact, I was a lot more free. I was a free man as a child. My mom wasn't going to tell me what I had to clean. I was going to make a mess and not have to clean it up. I was going to eat the food and not have to do any dishes. I was going to fill up the trash can and never have to take it out. I kind of wanted to just, you know, be free, mom. Let me be, free. Let me, be me. Let me live my life. This is, I'm talking about like four years old, by the way. Um, I learned very early on, very quickly, no, mom said you're taking out the trash, you're taking out the trash. Mom said you're helping with the dishes, you're helping with the dishes. So I learned uh, fairly quick the importance of me taking place and helping with uh, chores. But I want to kind of tell you guys something that happened while I was doing chores. Oftentimes, uh, either before I did the chores or while I was doing the chores or after I had finished doing the chores, my mom at some point would reach some disappointment. She'd be a little frustrated. She'd be a little angry sometimes, a little uh, just, you know, disappointed. And I'm thinking, why? I did what she asked me to do. I took out the trash. I cleaned the dishes. I cleaned up after the dog. I did all the things that you asked me to do. Why are you upset with me? And she began to teach me this principle, which ultimately is honor. Because what happened was, I was doing the right thing, but I was doing it with a bad attitude. I was doing what was asked of me. There was obedience, but 
the way I was doing it could have been a little better. I was the one that was kicking my feet and like, oh, fine, I'll just go do the thing. And like, you know, dragging my feet or, or not kicking and screaming. That stopped really early on. Like by the time I was like 17, I didn't do it anymore. Um, but she, she, she helped me to understand the importance that it's not just what I do, but it's how I do it that matters. And that is what honor is. Essentially, honor comes into two aspects, two areas that you can focus on. If you can get these two things down and their principles that we'll talk about that was mentioned in the kids kids session, but it ultimately comes down to two things, your actions and your attitude. You have to do the right stuff, but you also have to do it with a good spirit, with a good heart, with good motive. Um, So we're going to talk about honor, specifically actions and attitudes. By the way, I'm trying to be, you know, like my pastor and have a cool slideshow. I probably will forget to change the slides, so forgive me ahead of time. But as was already mentioned, uh, honor essentially is summed up in three separate uh, concepts, three approaches, three steps that you could take. And if you can fulfill all three of these steps, then you can have honor. You can give honor. You can bestow honor to your parents. You can give honor to your leaders, to your youth pastor. Um, According to, as was already stated, say goodbye to whining, complaining, and bad attitudes in you and your kids, the longest title known to history by Scott Terinsky and Joanne Miller. Honor is summed up in three steps, three principles, three things, three attributes that you can do. Treating people as special, doing more than what's expected, and having a good attitude. So for a couple minutes tonight, I just want to talk to you guys about what this looks like. What does it mean to live my life in a way that honors God, honors my family, honors my parents, honors my leaders? Um, And so, as I said, honor, you've got two sides of it, action and attitude. So real quick, I'm not going to spend much time on action because we all know when it comes to teenagers, we've got the action stuff down, right? We're going to focus more on that other side of the topic that we all are really excited to talk about, the other A in the title. But anyway, uh, honor through my actions, treating people as special and doing more than what's expected. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. In other words, putting someone above myself putting their needs before mine, lifting them up above myself, thinking about them before I think about myself. This scripture is telling us that this is how we can give honor. This is how we can present honor. It's not just about awards. It's not just about saying, thank you, I'm honoring so-and-so today because of their efforts. But it's saying, I'm going to put what I want second and what you want first. I'm going to put what I need second and what you need first. And... In order to treat someone special, in order, or should I say this, in order to honor someone, we must treat them special. That's what the, the principle says, is treating people special is a way of honoring people. But what does treating someone special look like? What does that mean? We heard some odd ideas, some ways of doing that in the kids' session. But as, as teenagers, as young adults, as, as, as adults, what does it mean to treat someone special? I feel like we all have a good idea of it at least one time a year. There's normally one day that comes around each year each different for every person where we know what it's like to be special. And that's probably your birthday. Love the crowd participation. Your birthday. Your birthday is your day. It's your big opportunity to be special, right? It's the cake that you want. It's the the the, uh, the agenda that you want. You get the gifts that you want. You get to, they, they 
everyone's reaching out to you. They're texting you. They're calling you. They're posting you on their Instagram story. You are the, the main man, the main lady on campus. You are the big shot because it's your special day. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis of treating someone special? Kind of want to take a left turn. You've all heard of real colors, right? Y'all know real colors. Have you, we're going to get a youth version of this out there. You're all going to get to participate and know your own if you haven't already figured yours out. But for everyone else in here, is anyone, raise your hand if you've done real colors, if you know what that is. You know, the blues. Okay, good bit of you. So it's like personality types. But let me ask you this one. Have you ever heard of love languages? Ever heard of those? Okay, so we've got some of you. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, like, like youth, boyfriend, girlfriend, that kind of like, hey, what is up? I know your love language. Like, no, I'm talking about, like, the way that you best receive love, the way that you best give love. Um, there's five love languages. I'm gonna, not teaching on it, just giving you a very big, a short synopsis to get to a story that from my childhood. You have physical touch, uh, gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, and um, acts of service. And what this means is that a person receives love the best when one of those is being met, or they give love the most naturally through one of those outlets. For me, growing up, I was huge words of affirmation. I needed to hear that you loved me. I needed to hear that I was doing a good job. I needed to hear, boy, I'm so proud of you. That's what I needed to know to receive love. My mom, total opposite. She was acts of service. She was the type that said, if you love me, your actions will follow suit. If you love me, you will do this. Your words aren't enough. I appreciate them, but I need more. And so growing up, we had a little bit of a a, a struggle with communication sometimes because I'm out here pouring my heart out. I'm drawing her a little I love you card, sliding it under her door when I made her mad. And I meant every word of that. I literally drew an I and then a heart and then a you. I meant every, every three, every word. I meant it. And I would apologize, or I'd tell, talk to her in person, and I'd say, Mom, I love you. Thank you so much. Or, or she'd, she'd give me words, whatever it was. Like, I, I meant it. But because of my mom's upbringing, because of her experience, because of what she went through, for her words were kind of cheap. Words didn't have much of an impact. So when I did that, it meant a lot because it's her son saying, I love you. But it wasn't as big of an impact if I did things for her. And the same regard goes when I didn't do things for her. For example... Great morning. I love you, Mom. She loves me. We're having great eggs, bacon, pancakes, wonderful Saturday morning breakfast. Jalen forgot to take the trash out. You'd have thought I, like, set off Armageddon, apocalypse, end of the world. Jesus was coming back home. Like, we were, we were going. We were leaving. Because it was like... I just told her I didn't love her. It was like I just told her, like, you let me down. Or, like, it was like I said, Mom, you're not the best mom. You're not a good mom. I don't love you. Like, that's what me not doing what I was supposed to do meant to her. Why am I telling you all this? Not so you can go study love languages and just become, you know, super professional and all that stuff. If you do, great. I think it's a great resource. But what happened was, as I got older, I learned hers love language was acts of service. So I started to intentionally do acts of service to tell her that I loved her. I would do big projects. I would do small projects. I did these things because I wanted her to know that I loved her, and that was the best way for me to communicate that to her. I'm telling you this to say this. Treating someone as special, 
It's not just putting their needs, it's putting their needs first, but it's ultimately getting to a point where you're not inconvenienced for them necessarily, but you are going out of your way to meet them where they're at. It was not natural for me to do acts of service. I can't stand acts of service. I do not want to spend my time fixing something, building something. I don't know. I will pay someone else to do it. But I knew that's what meant a lot to my mom. So I would start doing projects around the house because I knew that's what mattered to her. It was not easy for me to give that. But I gave it to her because I knew it mattered. And I wanted her to feel special. I'm telling you all this to say, treating, making someone feel special or going above and beyond these are important aspects of honoring, and it's not something that's meant to be convenient. It's not something that's meant to be easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it, and everyone would have the star on their chest. It's not something that's meant to be easy. It's challenging. But if we decide to go that extra step and go out of our way and communicate something to someone that might not be the easiest way for us to communicate it, again, the love language stuff. That was me trying to communicate to my mom what she needed to hear, me trying to honor her, not by just doing what's easy for me. It's easy for me to do a quick five-minute chore. It's easy for me to just write her a love note and say, Mom, I love you and appreciate you, and I would do that as a kid. But then I had to realize that's not what really says it to her, so I need to go where she's at, make her feel more special by doing these things that are not easy for me to do. Because, again, like it said in Romans, it's about exalting someone else above ourselves. It's about putting their needs first, their wants first. So what does this look like on a nine-to-five, so to speak? Like, what does this look like at home? What are the things that you could be doing for your family, for your leaders, for the young adults listening? What is this that you could be doing for the leaders in your life, for the <clears throat> pastors in your life? What is it you could be doing that might not be just natural for you, easy for you, but it's something that you can do to show these people that, you, that are important to you, that are leaders in your life, that they matter, that they are special. So how can you honor them in that regard? So treating someone as special requires you to put them above yourself. But again, this is just one aspect of honor. There's a, another side, and this is where we're going to spend the last little bit, and that is bringing honor through your attitude. Now, as the verses were already said, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the commandment, I put the easy to read on there twice. Well, technically it's KJV, but it says easy to read. Uh, honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Easy to read version says, you must honor and respect your father and your mother. Do this that you will live a full life in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Now, Paul Paul says it a little differently. Paul in Ephesians says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He then goes on to say, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou shalt live long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Easy to read versions there as well. Did Paul just flat out say exactly what the, the, the commandment was? Was that all he put in this moment? When he's talking to these people about how to live, these domestic relationships, these relationships in the home, when he's telling them this, was there anything else that he added? Or did he just say, just honor your parents, that's all that matters? Is there anything else before honor? Come on. What's before honor? All right, y'all need some confidence. It's on the screen. You got to cheat sheet, everyone. What's before honor? Obey. 
if we could just, don't you feel like obedience is just an aspect of honor? Like it's something that you do. So why did he need to say it separately? Because you can't, it's like pastors all the time, like you can do without being, but you can't be without doing. You can obey and not honor, but you cannot honor and not obey. I can obey my parents. I can do what my leadership asks me to do. But if my spirit is wrong, my attitude is wrong, my motive is wrong, then I haven't honored them. But in order for me to honor them, there's something right here. Now my motive's pure. The reason why I'm doing it is right. I'm doing the right thing. I'm checking the right boxes. But I'm also doing it with the right attitude, with the right spirit, with the right motive. And that's why he sets it he makes sure to make the statement first children obey your parents because it's right it's good you need to obey them you need to obey your leaders you need to obey the people that 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 you are submitted to but you also need to honor them and you can honor them by your actions but also by your attitude there is a there is a safety in obedience obedience is important But there is blessing and honor. Because again, he says, obey your parents because it's right. But then he says, honor your parents and there's more available. Obedience will impact where you are right now. But honor is going to impact who you are in the future. Because obedience, I do this right thing right now, I get a reward. I do this wrong thing right now, I get disciplined. My obedience or lack of obedience impacts me right now. It's a choice I'm making right now. But honor, if you honor your parents, you will have X, Y, and you will live long. You will have full life. You have full days. So if you honor your parents, there's blessing coming. So honor isn't about where we're at right now, but it's about where we're going. So why does it matter that we honor our leadership now while we're teenagers? Why does it matter that I honor my parents right now while I'm a a youth? Because it's the right thing to do. It's a scriptural thing to do, but also it's setting you up for success. It is fighting the battles for the future. It is blessing you you and covering you in your future. It's taking care of things that you don't see right now. Obedience deals with right now. Honor deals with tomorrow. So why is honor so important? Because it's about helping you become who you're called to be in the future. You learn these principles now as a teenager. There's no telling what you'll be doing by the time you're my age, what, what your, your spirit would be, your attitude would be. It took me so long to get my motive right. I had the, the actions down. I had the doing the right thing down. I had the, the helping volunteer and the cleaning this and cleaning that and doing this. And that. But my motive was so wrong. My attitude, most of the time I'm doing it, I'm complaining to myself. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. Why can't someone else do this? And my motive was looking for some kind of reward, some kind of a pat on the back, some kind of affirmation. Out of boy, Jalen, good job. And it took me so long to realize if I just got my motive right and I just made sure my attitude was right. And that's why I'm focused on this. Like I said, the kids, they talked about it some with the attitude. But teenagers, I remember I'm not that old. Attitude starts to turn up a little bit when, you got, when you're a teenager. What's funny is here, there we go. The attitude turns up, but the, the volume turns down because we get a little wiser, right? So, you know, let's say some of you are bold enough to, you know, get in arguments with your parents. Not encouraging this. I had it down to a T, though. I learned how to do a silent tantrum, turn a tantrum in silent mode. So I got in trouble with my mom, and I wanted to give her a piece of my mind. So I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. And she'd leave, and I'd go to our room and be like, got the door, and I'd be like, 
you know what I'm saying? You slam the door, but then you stop right before it actually makes out, and then you just close it quietly. And then I get in my room, and I'm just like, I wasn't saying anything, because if I made noise, she was coming in. So I had to turn in silent mode. Why am I telling you that? Oh, because we as, te- we as teenagers, you as teenagers, I'm still a teenager, yay. You as teenagers, the attitude starts kicking up. Your mind's going through a lot. Your body's going through a lot. Your brain's further developing, and the attitude starts to kick in. And that's why we've got to get this now. If I can get my attitude in line now, if I can get my spirit in line now, what could I be doing by the time I'm in my 20s? What could I be doing by the time I'm in my 30s? What kind of example could I be setting for my friends, for my peers, for my younger siblings? You all have siblings? I think, I think yeah, is there anyone here that's an only child? No? Yeah. Well, you're the youngest, but yeah. Man, that's crazy. Man, I'm like the minority now. Wow. Anyway, um, so this is why this is important. But last thing, and this is, this, is what I, I, this, is, this is the part that's the hardest when it comes to keeping our attitude right. When things are good, it's easy to keep the right motive. It's easy to keep the right attitude, right? You know, it's like things are good. Parents are great. They're, I got A's on my report card. They're happy with me. I'm happy with them. They got me the gift I wanted. Everything's awesome. I'm definitely the favorite sibling. Like, life's great. It's easy to honor them at that point. But what happens when your parent has a bad day? And they have bad days. What happens when they had a long day at work and they come home a little more frustrated than normal? Or a little, they got a little chip on their shoulder. I'm going to say, I'm saying all this in front of you and in front of your parents. And anyone else is listening. Because there is not one single parent here that does not have a bad day. My mom, I, am, I will put my mom's love for me up against any mother in the world. I know for a fact my mom loves and loved me growing up. But she had problems. She had her past. She had her frustration. She had people at work that would drive her crazy. And so sometimes she'd have a bad day. And sometimes that meant there was attitude in the house. Sometimes that meant there was frustration. Sometimes that meant I did the wrong thing, just a small thing. But because of my proximity to her, it just made this big ordeal. So what happens? How do you, so does that mean I don't have to honor them then? I mean, why should I honor my parent? They've got an attitude. Why should I honor my leadership? They're abusing their power. Why should I honor this? Why should I honor my father? He left me when I was two. Why should I honor my parents if they don't deserve it? If they're doing something that doesn't, I don't need to honor them. That'd be the easy way out. But like I said, honor is not just, it's almost like they talk about with forgiveness, how we forgive for them. We forgive so they can, if they need to move on and they need our forgiveness for that, then yes, we forgive them. But I'm also forgiving for myself. And that's my point with honor is honor, it blesses them and it's helping them, but it's also keeping you safe. It's preparing you for your future. It's fighting the battles for tomorrow. So if you learn now, when my parent has a bad day, I'm still going to honor them. I'm still going to respect them. I'm still going to love them despite what it looks like. What kind of future are you preparing yourself for? I'll give you a biblical example and then I'm done of uh, someone that, understood this and you can see the blessings from his honor and i'll give you all one opportunity to guess who i'm going to talk about what come on come on it's me guys no i actually was going to say that but i'm not come on who do i always talk about guys you're embarrassing me in front of the church starts with a d david there we go phone sorry said right before i say it starts with a d David, just a very quick study shows he was not loved by his family. If you look up when his father talks about him to Samuel, first of all, David's not even invited to the, to the meeting. But when 
Jesse talks about David. He says the word youngest. If you look up what that word translates to, it's not actually how we say youngest, as in he was the baby or his age was so, he was just small. It's like basically saying he was worthless. The extra, the runt, the one that just, I put him out with the sheep because I just need to get him out, get him out of the way. He was not valued by his family. He wasn't valued by his brothers, by his father. I wish I could tell you that David had a very traumatic life at home and then just got out of the home and everything went great. Unfortunately, he went to another messed up relationship. He went to work for King Saul. He was his chief musician, if you will. He was his, uh, one of his warriors on the battlefield. He was someone that, that fought in his wars and did things. In fact, he became Saul's son-in-law. Hopefully, I don't ever, you know, make my father-in-law that upset with me, but, but he became, he became, he was Saul's son-in-law. He got very, he did a lot for Saul, a lot with Saul, but see, Saul got bitter. Saul got frustrated. Saul didn't like what David was doing. He didn't like the people singing about David. He didn't like how much the people liked David, and Saul got threatened by David, and so Saul starts to try to take David's life. He tried to take his life while he was sleeping in his own home. Thankfully, David left and fled in time. He tried to take his life by chasing him to caves. He tried chasing him through other countries. He was all over the place trying to take this man's life multiple, multiple, multiple times of trying to take this man's life. But one of the first times he tries to take his life, he's in, David is there serving Saul. He's doing the right thing. Again, David didn't ask for any of this. He's there serving Saul. He's there playing music for Saul because Saul is troubled. And Saul gets a javelin and throws it at David with an attempt to kill him and pin him to the wall. And this was multiple times that this happened. That's crazy enough to think about that. Someone tries to throw a spear at me one time. I don't think I'm coming back. I got the message the first time, but David submitted and stayed. There was honor in that. And so David goes back. But here's what's amazing. If you go back and read it, it's in, uh, I think it's 1 Samuel 8, 19. Go read 1 Samuel 19. I'm not reading it now for the sake of time because I really am finishing up. Go read what happens. David was a man of war. He's also a man of practice. Everything that David did, he got good at. And so it's safe to say that David, if he's a man of war, he knew how to work a javelin. He probably knew how to work a spear, knew how to work a, a sword, knew how to work a shield. He was a man of war. But what, guess what happens when Saul throws his spear at him? It doesn't say that David grabbed the closest object and blocked it and deflected the spear somewhere else. He didn't go on the defensive. It doesn't say that Saul threw the spear and David Quickly reflex, boom, ninja style, grabs it, spins around, chucks it back at Saul and pinned him to the wall. He didn't go on the offensive. It simply says he got out of the way. He just dodged it. He just moved and he got out. What does that look like for us today? Can I say that every time javelins are thrown at me, I'm getting attitude from people that I didn't do anything wrong to, or my parents are having a bad day and it's causing inconvenience in my life? Can I say that when those spears are coming at me, I just got out of the way. I just said, Lord, they're struggling today. I pray for them. Or do I kind of go on the defensive? It wasn't me. At least I did my chores. Go ask the other sibling. They didn't do that. I deflect and point it somewhere else. I go on the offensive and I say, well, you, blah, 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 and yada, 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 mom or dad or so-and-so. Or do I point fingers at someone else and try to protect myself? But what would happen if we could say, when, when those javelins are thrown at us, when those spears are coming at us, when people's words are coming at us, when our parents are upset and they're frustrated and things are bad, and they're not, honestly don't deserve the honor or don't deserve the respect or whatever they're doing, we're just like, why should I honor you? What would happen if we decided, I'm going to just get out of the way? Not saying you go run and flee and, and, and run away from home. That's not what I'm telling you. 
I'm telling you, what would happen if you decided, God, for my sake and for their sake, I'm going to honor them, I'm going to respect them? Because here's the reality, and this is why David understood this. God put Saul in that position. Man asked for Saul, but God allowed it. And David said, I can't touch this man because he's anointed of God, and God put him in here. So every single one of you, I don't know what your relationship is with your parents, which ones you're close to, which ones you're not, which ones you, you wish you were close to. I, I, don't, I, know, I know a pretty good bit for most of you, but at the end of the day, you know more than anyone else where you're at with your parents, with your leaders. So I want to encourage you, the same way David in this moment, he had every right to just get out of the way and just, in fact, he could have had his men come and take out Saul. He could have taken out Saul himself, but he said, no, this is who God's pointed in my life. I'm going to do what I need to do to respect and honor them. So what happens in your lives when those parents do those things, when they're just like having a bad day and you're like, wow, you never gave me that attention or you didn't do that for me or why am I always the one in trouble or why are you always upset at me or when that leader asks you to do something, you're like, I just got asked when Karis, when the media director asked you to be on lyrics and graphics again after you just did it. I don't know who that guy is. We got to get someone out, get us someone else in that department. I'm just kidding, man. I definitely thought I was going to get some last one. I'm the media director in case you didn't understand. Then just say, all right, they must be short staffed or something. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm going to help out. I'm not saying she's done this. She's amazing at graphics. But that's my point is what happens if we just decide, I'm going to just get out of the way and I'm going to honor them because there's blessing in it for me, but it's also the biblical thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's not about how I feel, which is why it's so important for us to get our attitude in check now. There's going to be times I don't feel like honoring my parents. I don't feel like honoring my leaders because of something they did, something they said, something they they didn't do something they didn't say, but I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And again, like I said, look at David's life. He made mistakes moving on in the future, but he is known as one of the greatest kings to ever rule Israel. And it's his family lineage that goes all the way to Jesus. And there was future blessing in the honor that David showed the family that he had and the leaders that he had, despite what he was going through. So I want to encourage you this uh, evening to remember the importance of honor, to remember the importance of obedience, but also remember that you can obey and stop there, and it's not really going to help you a whole lot. But if you decide, I'm going to obey, but I'm also going to have a right attitude, and therefore I'm going to honor them, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So, Jesus' name. In Matthew 5 and 38, Jesus references the Old Testament, and he says it, it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he was referencing what was intended to be a principle to guide judicial proceedings, meaning if someone does something, give them the appropriate punishment, don't go above and beyond. But the problem was they had taken that principle and were using it in personal relationships and everyday situations. And so he follows that up and he says, if somebody asks you for your coat, then give them your cloak also. And then he says, if you're compelled to go a mile, go too. The context of that was, and one example would be the Roman soldiers could compel a Jewish citizen to carry their backpack for a mile, and they had to do it. They could send them on an errand, and they were required by law to go a mile. 
And so Jesus says, rather than going a mile when you're asked to do this, go an extra mile. But notice he was asking them to go above and beyond, not for someone they had an emotional connection to. It wasn't someone they loved. It wasn't someone they had this great relationship with. In fact, he was asking them, telling them, go above and beyond for people you don't like. Go above and beyond for people you don't care about. If he told them to do that in that context, how much more should we in the relationships with people we love and care about go above and beyond? I challenge you, and especially the adults this evening, I challenge you not to take the the topic of honoring tonight. And well, that's a cute, nice concept. If you've been listening, you hear that it is a biblical principle that matters to God. And therefore, it should matter to us. If it matters to Him, to the degree, what did Sister Angie say? couple hundred, several hundred times throughout Scripture. We've heard some really great practical application of that. And so let's, sure we, let's make sure we take home the significance of what that means. How much it means to God. And the bottom line is this. I didn't bring my iPad. I don't have any notes. They're all sweating. Because, oh my God, he's up there now. I shouldn't have said, oh my God, I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. The more we are around each other, the longer we live together, the easier it is to take each other for granted. Honoring should never stop. It may take on different forms and fashions it may be like trying to help them find the glasses that are on top of their head things that they you know but let's not let's not let time cause us to lose our desire to be in relationships in which we continue to honor each other. Father, I thank you for this time this evening. Lord, it's been communicated tonight, and I trust that in the last couple of weeks it's been communicated because your word is full of the significance and the importance of the relationships that we're in. As we focused on so far the last several weeks, the familial relationships that we have, friendships, those that are close to us, help us, Lord. Lord, it's easy in a lot of different ways, and it's just as easy in this regard, in this area, 
to allow the attitudes, the actions, the mindsets of the world to become ours. To allow ourselves to be influenced by the way the world does things, by the way the world treats each other, by, by the way families are in the world. But Lord, you all throughout your word instructed us, challenged us, gave us principles to live by, to govern how we conduct ourselves in the most personal and significant relationships in our lives. I pray, Lord, that what's been spoken this evening, those that will watch this in the future, that this will be seeds that would fall on good ground, that would produce a harvest in our lives, that it will sow seeds of blessing, as we've heard, for our futures. In Jesus' name, amen.